Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. It was a couple weeks ago, and there I was on the 18th hole. I was standing over my ball, and I was down by one stroke. I looked ahead of me, and I pulled the club back, and I released, and I hit the ball. And there I was, trying to be clutch in this moment, because I don't want to lose. I see the ball going down, some beautiful astroturf at the Myrtle Beach putt-putt course. (laughs) Down by one, I needed it to go in, I needed the hole-in-one, and Pastor Scott just is known for being clutch, amen? And so I watched the ball, and it's tracking towards the hole. I mean, it is going, I'm thinking... This is, this is fantastic. The kids' faces start to light up like, is this really going to happen? They don't want to hear dad's mouth after this one. And it's going, going right to the hole, and it drops in. And I just drop the club, and I'm like, dad does it again. You know what I mean? You can picture this, right? Now, the problem is I'm still down by one. Ellie has hit her putt. She's walking up, and she's got a good couple feet to now tie me or lose what's she gonna do and she steps over the ball I see her concentrating she doesn't want to lose to dad she pulls the club back and hits it and because Ellie has superior genes in her she also drops the putt and Ellie and dad tie now here's the problem I don't know if you're competitive like me but I hate a tie, all right? Like, I don't know, I just, I can't handle that. I end where I began, and I'm no better than when I began the round of 18 gruesome, competitive holes of putt-putt golf. But there I was, tied. It just, it feels like the, the middle of, of neither the adrenaline of victory or the agony of defeat. Honestly, I would rather tie than I would, I'd rather lose than tie than I could just have something to overcome the next time. But there I did. I just sat in this tie. Now, I may be being a little overdramatic, as I never am, but I'm telling you this because I think where James is going today, he's going to talk about something where we don't have the option to stay in the middle like a tie. Something always wins and something always loses and but today fortunately whatever's going to win or lose we get to choose. See, if you haven't been part of what's going on at One Hope all summer long, we're in the middle of a series that's going to last nine weeks, and we're in week seven. We're in week seven of talking about a book, walking through a book written by the brother of Jesus. I'm thankful the past two weeks because Skyler, the student pastor, he stepped up during the July uh, 4th week, and he talked about words, didn't he? Chapter 3, talk about words, how words are important, words matter, how we need to be disciplined in the gift of words that we have. And then last week, uh, Dr. Tim Fox, our district leader, I passed on your kind words to him of people just being thankful that he came and the the message he spoke on wisdom. 
He spoke on wisdom of, uh, of how it's better to be wise than even smart or right. Remember that? That we can gain wisdom as we, as we spend time with people who already possess wisdom. But you know, as I listened to Tim speak last week and kind of reviewed where he was, I kind of felt like James took a break last week. If you've been walking with us, I, you may have felt this too, that James kind of took a break last week from the kind of challenging, in-your-face writing style that he's had for these, all the weeks leading up to. See, last week it seemed like the letter just said, remind us that we need to have wisdom as we go through life, but not only that we need it, that God wants to give us wisdom. And so, great message, but it's almost like he took that breather. But here's the deal. Chapter 3 ended, and now we're in chapter 4. Chapter 4, 1 through 10, may be the most in-your-face writing that James has done in this whole letter that he wrote. James 4, 1 through 10, is as challenging maybe words you will ever hear in your life. Chapter 4 is going to step on every last toe today. I'm actually going to really enjoy this speaking today, because all week long, James has been all up in my business. You know what I'm saying? And now as I speak it today, he's not going to be in my business. He's going to be where? In our business, all right? We're gonna, so we're going to walk into this. Now, James is starting to land the plane. As he lands the plane, he's going to force us to make a decision on which side are we going to be on? I had a professor in college, his name was Dr. Bud Benson. He had weird catchphrases. One of them was, as we talked about theology and learned about theology, he said, you have to fall off the log. So he said, in theology, you have to fall off the log. And weird, weird phrasing, all he's saying is, you can't stay in the middle. You've got to choose one side or the other. Well, James, if we... If we re respond appropriately today, it's going to force us to decide which side are we going to be on. So I hope you're ready. James 4, I'll open your business. All right, James 4, let me read it for you. Verse 1, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that the friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says, without reason, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, 
and he will lift you up. Have you ever had a memory of an event, a thing, maybe a person, and in your mind, it is perfect? In your mind, whatever you have now is not as good as what was. Now, I think oftentimes we do this with, we do it with music. Oh, music was so much better back here. We do this with clothes, fashion. We're like, oh man, the clothes, I can't believe they're wearing this now. It was so much better back then. We do this with sports. Sports is so much better then than it is now. We do it with TV shows. We do it with movies. We do this all the time. We, we look in the past and our memory is that's what was good. That's what was perfect. That's what was the ideal. Not right now. We do this with the church. We think about what was and how much it was better versus today. But I don't even mean like our church. I mean like the church. You, I can't tell you how many times I hear, Scott, we just need to go back to like first century church. We, if things just need to be like the book of Acts, like that's the church we need. The problem is when we do that, don't we often look back with kind of like rose-colored glasses? And the problem with saying this about the church back then is we forget that the beginning of the church was actually really messy. The formation of the church was actually filled with conflict. You know why? You know, you know why it was? Because the church was filled with people just like today. People filled with wanting to have, believe in Jesus and have faith in Jesus, but also were filled with brokenness and baggage. This is why James has to come hard at us. This is why James, whatever his wiring seems to be, that he has this aggressive, challenging wiring. This is why he has in-your-face language, because James wants more for us people as people. He also wants more for us as the church. That's why I think he comes at us the way he does. Now, I don't know if you watched this movie before, but there's a movie called Creed. And when it came out, um, you know, I, I've heard great reviews on it. And, and it, was, it was based on the movies Rocky. Or it was a spinoff of Rocky. You remember Rocky movies with Rocky Balboa? I mean, if, if I watch Rocky Four today, probably at the end of it, I want to run through a wall. Like, when he beats the Russian, like, it's go time. Like, I'm pumped up. Well, well Rocky once had an opponent, if you remember, but turned friend named Apollo Creed. Well, Apollo Creed died in the ring, but it was years later now that Rocky meets, connects with his son. And Rocky begins to train his son. And there was this one moment in the movie where you see that he, he wants the son to learn something really valuable. And so he takes him and he puts him in front of the mirror, this glass wall mirror. And he says, look in this mirror. Because right in front of you will be the greatest opponent you will ever face in the ring. Look in this mirror right now because this is the greatest opponent you'll ever face in the ring. And as I thought about James chapter 4, it's almost like James is telling us, look in the mirror because the greatest opponent you will come face to face with is not others. 
The greatest battle you'll ever face in life is not with others, it is with yourself. Other people aren't the problem. Our greatest battles are not going to be outside of us, what we see in front of us. It's going to be ourselves. You see this in James 1, how he begins. What causes fights and quarrels among you? What causes tension? What causes issue? What causes this feeling angst? What causes the divisions? What causes just life to... It's just something's off. What causes? And he doesn't wait for someone to answer. He answers his own question. Don't they come from your desires? That battle within you? I reminded you of the early church and, and their issues because, and, and that people didn't always get along and, and how this movement of this church, this movement that changed the world didn't always come conflict-free. I did this to grasp the reality of who he was writing this to, that there were obviously issues. We actually see this all through the New Testament. We see uh, just in people, just regular people, we see this with disciples. There, there was just Things always just didn't go easy, and I think we can relate to James chapter 4. But as I read it, doesn't he flip the regular script on its head? Doesn't he flip the conversation that when there are issues going on, isn't our typical go-to is to blame other people for our issues that we're facing. Isn't our typical go-to like it's something that somebody is doing? It couldn't possibly be me. For those that are married, in that first year of marriage, don't we realize that maybe we were wrong when we were pre-married that we kind of had this thought that everything we did made sense. Didn't it? Before you're married, don't you have this thought of like, I do it because it makes sense. And then you get married and you have to mix with somebody else and you realize, oh, that may not be as normal as I thought it was. That may not make sense quite as much as I thought it was. And in this moment, you have a decision to make now that you're married. Do you realize that you're not as perfect as you thought you were and all the things you did didn't make as much sense as you thought it did? Or you decide, I'm gonna, and, and then you, you're willing to change, or you decide, I'm going to be stubborn. I'm going to keep pushing in that it's them being wrong, not me. I think James, as he begins this portion of chapter 4, he says, don't these issues exist in life because maybe there's something wrong inside of us. Maybe there's something going on in us that we don't like to admit. Now, the next several verses, then he breaks down the problem that is going on underneath. And what he tells them, he's telling us, is that the problem is actually us. And here is the biggest problem, is we are in a daily battle of competing desires. Every single day, if you don't realize this, we need to realize it this morning. Every day, we are in a daily battle of competing desires. Now, the good thing for us is James isn't the only one that says this. 
We see this written by other people. We can go to Paul this morning. Can I remind you what he says about this? That as he's writing to the early church, he says, this is what's going on inside of you. There's a competition to live by the flesh. There's a competition to live by the spirit. There's competition to live by what you want versus what God is trying to do in you. And he, and he basically says, whatever wins that battle, fruit in your life will be seen. You know this portion of scripture, right? Galatians chapter Five, it gives us a picture. He says, the acts of the flesh, this desire, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I warn you as I did before. This isn't the only time I've told you. That those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So this is the desires, the flesh, the battle that's going on is over here. And if that wins, we're going to have issues. But the other side says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. James says, why are all these fights and quarrels and just messiness of life. Why? Tensions and just outside and the inside. Why is it going on? Because isn't there a battle that's going on inside of you? Then James comes and goes, there's a battle that's inside of you. I've told you this before. There's a battle inside of you. And depending on what side wins, the fruit of your life will be seen. Well, James then continues the conversation, and he says, this is what it's going to look like when the desires of your flesh win. What's he say? You will, des uh, you will desire what you can't have, and so you'll kill. You'll desire what you can't have, so you'll destroy things. You'll covet what you can't have, and so you will have fights and quarrels. There will be angst inside of you, and it will cause issues in your life. These, these competing desires in you, and sometimes that flesh is going to win. And this desire of the flesh, when it's winning, then you won't go to God. But when you do go to God, well, he can't give you what you ask for because when you ask for it, what does he say will happen? You'll use it for yourself. James is letting them know, like, you are a problem You want what you can't have. Even when you ask God for it, you, he can't give it to you because you'll mess it up. But then he takes one step further. It's almost like if that wasn't weighty enough, he's like, let me push in deeper. He says, you adulterous people. Once again, don't shoot the messenger here, right? Like, James, you adulterous people people you people who are cheating on God you say you're his but your friendship with the world is causing hostility between you and God your friendship with the world is causing you to be what an enemy with God he 
These are strong words. Like, can James get in our face any more this morning saying, when you are a friend with the world, now you're an enemy of God? If this, if this language by James doesn't bring a weight on you, cause a little bit of a, an offense to you, maybe, may I propose that maybe we're in a worse place than we thought we were? Because maybe we are just blind to ourselves, or maybe we are too arrogant to even see that part of ourselves. I told you this week, as I'm reading this text, like, I feel like God's all up in my business because, because I'm just like, am I this guy? Have I begun to live this kind of life? Is James calling me out? Is he calling you out that you become too much of a friend to this world and now you're an enemy of God? Like, these are strong words. But then James makes a transition. James makes the greatest transition of your life. James makes the best transition that could ever happen to us because in verse 6 he says but he gives us more grace but he gives us more grace even though you are adulterous in your relationship with God even though he wants to give you his spirit, but you're rejecting it the way you live. Even though your, your friendship with the world is making you an enemy of God. Even though your life is a mess. You can't, you can't have what you want, but you shouldn't even want this more than wanting God. He says, but God gives us more grace. And this is the real story of Scripture but he gives us more grace. James spends the first half of this section telling us what the problem is. Look in the mirror. You are the problem. The battle within is your worst enemy. But he, then he makes a transition from the problem and gives us a solution to the problem. Can I read that again? God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. If our issue is letting our fleshly desires win, then the solution to that problem, and I'm about to blow your mind with this, the solution to you is less of you. Hear me. This is, this is, this is the smartest thing you'll ever hear me say. Hopefully not. The the solution to you is less of you. The solution to us is less of us. This is what he is saying. 
God opposes all who think too much about themselves. God opposes those who are proud and make life about themselves, but gives grace, gives favor to those who are humble. In case you haven't heard this definition before, I want to share it with you. My favorite definition of humility by C.S. Lewis. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. You are created child of God. You are created on purpose. You have value. You are important. You are loved. You matter in this scheme of life. It's not about thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. The only way to win this battle within, James says, the solution to our problem against our pride is to let humility win. And if humility begins to drive us, then true humility then allows us to submit ourselves to God. It allows us to resist the devil's schemes. It allows us to come near to God. It allows us to be truly repentant. Now, I'm going to pause it for a second because some of the note takers in the room, I don't want to go too quick. Sometimes I've been told I can go quick sometimes. So I'm going to pause for a second. If humility is the main driver of our life, James says then God does not, he opposes the proud but gives favor to the, to the humble. And when we're humble, he says you can submit yourself to God. He says you can resist the devil. You can come near to God, and you can truly be repentant. Can I read that again? I want you to see that this is such a big problem with us that, that, that we live in division. We live in angst. We live with just tension all the time. And James says that's because you've got a battle going on, but I'll give you a solution is to be humble. Submit yourselves then to God. He says resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Wash your hands and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Can I just tell you, this is, I'll give you behind the scenes, Pastor Scott. I actually wrestled with this last part of the text for like a solid probably hour. Then I'm like, what? What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Wash your hands. Purify your hearts, double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. What is he talking about? Realize, this is the picture of repentance, isn't it? True repentance puts us in the place of like, oh my goodness, I can't believe who I've become. Oh my goodness, I can't believe the arrogance. Oh my goodness, I can't believe how I've put myself front and center. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I've desired all of this more than God. And in this moment, it's this grieving. It's this mourning. This is not who I want to be. This is a picture of real repentance. And he says, if you can get to this place, if you can get to the place of real repentance, then here is the result. Verse 10. If you humble yourselves before the Lord, 
then he will lift you up. The contrast here at the beginning of it is we're trying to lift ourselves up. We spend our life trying to lift ourselves up to a place of status, to a place of wealth, to a place that where we matter, to a place that, like just pride. Pride lifts ourselves up. And James comes and goes, no, we got to push ourselves down. He opposes the proud. He gives favor to the humble. But if you are humble and you live in this, like you're resisting the, the enemy and you're coming near to God and you really repent— what happens? Now you're truly lifted up. So I want us to get this this morning. The structure of James chapter 4, verse 10, is, is kind of like a three-pronged structure. We've got the problem, we've got the solution, we've got the result. The problem is our competing desires within so often our fleshly desires wins and then it causes problems in our life. It causes problems on the inside of us. It causes problems on the outside of us. It causes problems with other people. It just causes issues. The solution is to humble ourselves. It allows to push back against the pride that tries to make everything about us. And then the result of it, if we can get there, is humility will allow God to lift us up. Just commentary from myself as I look around. Would it be really off of me to say that in the last couple years, our world has gotten a little even more about themselves than they were even a couple years ago. Do you notice that? Like, it's just, I'm not talking, like, we've always been about ourselves. This is the broken nature of humanity. But doesn't it seem like everybody loves themselves just a little bit more? I love my opinion more. I love my voice more. I want what I want a little bit more. Like, am I the only one that kind of feels this? Like, it's, it's kind of sad that I'm like, what's, happened to us? What did, what did this time during COVID do to us that we became even more self-involved? Like, I'm, I hope I'm not being too negative. I'm not calling you out. You can decide for yourself. But it just feels like there's like this temptation to be more about what I want in life. It seems to be a driving force right now. And just to be honest, I see it in the church and outside of the church. Like, I don't think we're immune to this. So maybe James chapter 4 is a perfect timing where he's like, listen, you know why there's fights everywhere? I don't know if you've seen any fights this week. Maybe, maybe not. Do you know there's fights everywhere? Maybe it's because there's really a battle going on inside of us. And we love to point fingers, don't we? But what if we all took responsibility that maybe there's a competition inside of us that we're going to run towards the fleshly desires of us, run towards the Spirit of God. We're going to run towards what we want versus God wants. And if, we're, if we truly will do this, then humility will run the day, and humility allows us then to be lifted up by God. I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before. But it says this, whatever you feed grows. Whatever you starve dies. Never heard that before? 
Whatever you, whatever you feed grows, whatever you starve dies. And I'm wondering this week, as we kind of ponder on, on James chapter 4, is what desires are actually winning inside of me? Forget James talking to somebody else. James, if you're talking to me, what's winning inside of me right now? Is there like just something that doesn't feel right, a relationship struggling, and every day am I angry, am I just, you know, there's something off. Instead of looking around, is there something going inside of me? What's winning in my life right now? And the question I want to I ask you, and maybe you can wrestle with this week, is what do you need to starve in your fleshly desires so that it dies? Is there something selfish in you? Is there something that has put you at the center of things? And, and Maybe you're like a super mature Christian, but something has creeped in. Something has happened. And you can feel it. Is there something, a way of thinking, an action, that you need to start starving, not saying yes to, pushing back against, and when you starve it, then it's going to begin to die. And then the other question then is, what do you need to feed in your relationship with God so that it grows? Every day we say yes to some things and no to other things. Every day we're feeding something in our life. This is why it's important what we do here in worship. This is why it's important that it's not just about here, but it's in every day that you're worshiping, you're in Scripture, you're, 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 you're building yourself up in your relationship with God. It's you're saying no to the wrong things and yes to the right things. It comes down to attitudes. It comes down to money. It comes down to relationships. It comes down to every aspect. What are you feeding that makes life about you that you need to start starving? We all do it. What? Are you saying yes to that just shows you you're becoming so much more of a friend of the world and it's actually causing you to be an enemy with God you know, James wants us to take this serious I don't think he'd use such strong language if it wasn't so serious what I'm hoping is if you begin to look at things like I know that's causing issues and it's it's the battle inside that i'm giving in when you when you begin to say no and you starve and it begins to die and you begin to feed other things then the result of your life is god begins to lift you up and you just you you know what that feels like right you just feel like i know i'm living in the rhythms that god is calling me to live and maybe we don't fall into the trap of what I'm saying going on around us, that we don't have to be a victim of being more selfish. We don't have to be that person that maybe I was talking about that's like, why have we gotten more selfish? No, you're actually leaning more into humility. How would our life change if James's words were not just something that Pastor Scott spoke on something morning, but something that just, whoo, 
I feel the weight of this. We don't just leave the place, but we leave the place with a declaration. No, like you are the center of everything. And God, show me, expose to me those areas that I'm being too much of a friend to the world, and I need to get rid of those, and I need to come back to you, God. That I need to submit to you. I need to resist some things. I need to come to you, near to you, God, so you can come near to me, and I'm going to repent of all these things so I can declare I'm really yours. And so this is what we do at the end of services. We're going to worship, and it's a song of declaration. But maybe for you, the words of James expose something even in you, and you don't want to leave today without that repenting the humility to repent. And you just, you kind of want to purify and clean something for you. Maybe you aren't a follower of Jesus and you're like, Scott, I need to give my life to Jesus. Can that be this moment where just repentance is like, God, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for being a friend of the world versus being in a relationship with you. And maybe you just, whether in your seat or you want to come up front, this is not a show. This is a place of sacrifice. God, I'm giving myself to you. Maybe God is going to show you something and you're just like, Whew, God, thanks for showing me that. I didn't see it in myself before. But when James talks about it, ooh, it's really real. So I'm going to offer that up to you, whatever God wants from you today. But I hope you leave with a conviction. God, I want to see those areas of my life where I'm way too much of a friend of the world. I want to be in relationship with you. Let me pray. God, thanks for giving us James. Thanks for giving him a spirit of, of, of strength and courage, and he's challenging us, God. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that your grace is even more, even when we live a life that, God, that we have desired things more than you. you bring insight to us? Will you bring wisdom to us? Will you bring conviction to us? Will you help us see the areas in our life that we're lifting ourselves up versus allowing you to lift us up because of the seat we put you in our life? So God, as we end today and declare to you what you mean to us, if there's something we need to see in ourselves, help us to see it and then help us to respond appropriately. We don't want to stay in the middle. God, we want to make a decision for you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at ouronehope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.